1: hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast. And today, we have Robin Phoenix Johnson on the Unimpressed Podcast. And I'm unimpressed that I've been in Charleston almost two years, and I haven't had you on the podcast yet. So welcome, Robin.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: So what's going on with you, Robin? I mean, a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people out in the comedy world know your MO, you were in the military for over 26 years?
2: Yeah, long time.
1: Long time in the military, coming out of the military, living with your husband and kids in Isla Palms, South Carolina. So tell me, how long have you been in this area since you got out of the military?
2: About a year and a half. So we moved here uh, last March, and uh, we moved here because my mother in law wasn't well, and we came to like Take care of her. My husband's from here. We always planned to retire here. I mean Mm -hmm. this was this was it. This was the dream. But we kinda expedited that because she wasn't well and um it's awesome. I mean we live on the beach. I mean I pinch myself sometimes. I'm like, do I really live a block from the beach and get a paddleboard and go boating and walk on the beach every morning? Like, who gets to do
1: that? Isle of Palms is a little bit of a hidden gem. It is. I think in the United States. Uh and a lot of people are coming and visiting, vacationing. So yes, it is I'm the same way, even though I'm a little farther away than you. I'm five miles from the beach. It's the same thing. I wake up and we're at the beach. And it becomes a distract- it becomes a distraction at some point because there's always something to do, right? Mm-hmm. So going back to your military yeah. deal, now where were you living before you moved here?
2: We were in Arlington, Virginia. We were both assigned to the Pentagon for our final assignments in the military. So we transitioned out of the military from the Pentagon and we both took jobs near the Pentagon, like in the DC area, Mm -hmm. but it was the grind. It was post COVID. It was terrible. So it was a nice reprieve to come here and just get away.
1: So how do you get out of the Pentagon?
2: Why well, I retired. <laughs> I was like,
1: yeah.
3: deuces,
2: I'm out. Uh, my husband stayed an extra year, you know, he stayed an extra year, but, uh, I was done. I mean, I just, I retired and I was like, this is enough. Cause it was COVID. I retired during COVID and it was just so much to deal with our two young children being homeschool. Cause it was all virtual schooling. The schools were not ready for it. So it was a terrible experience. Um, I needed to be present for my children, and so it was a nice, it was actually perfect timing to retire and be able to be there for my kids.
1: You told me a little bit about the story. You went into the military right out of high school. Yeah. And you kind of did it on a dare, right? Somewhat of a dare?
2: Kind of. Um, my boyfriend at the time wanted to be in the Marine Corps, and we were going to go into the Marine Corps. And he and a, we, we actually were in a bad car accident. And he was no longer qualified for military service based on the injuries he sustained in that car accident. Mm-hmm. I still, at that point, really wanted to serve. I mean, at some point, I don't know, along the way in the conversation, it just became indoctrinated in me that I wanted to serve my country. Uh, and to be honest, I'm from a very small town. I, want, I love my small town. I respect the values that it has and what it did for me as a person, but I wanted to get away. I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. I knew my parents couldn't afford college, and I thought, this is a way for me to prove myself, to get out, to be a little bit of a badass, to let go. Like at this time, this is when all the beat, all the 2K beat, you know, was mm-hmm. going on. So I was like, oh, I can do that. And then I can also go to college, travel. So that really was a draw for me to just go and, and join the Army.
1: So you're from a town in Ohio. Yeah. What town in Ohio are you from?
2: New Knoxville, Ohio. Very, very small, small village. Actually, it's not even a town. I think it's a village. It has one stoplight.
1: Interesting. So,
2: <laughs> Interesting. Uh,
1: well, it's interesting because I'm from a town. I'm from Ballstick, North Carolina. And there's one stoplight Aww. in baltic North Carolina. So I'm yeah. a, I'm a redneck. I was a redneck. I was the hillbilly in New York City yeah. <laughs> for 12 and a half years. So I know what you mean. And Dave Chappelle, you know, in the comedy world is that. Near where Dave Chappelle lives,
2: he's like three hours from me. Okay, he's still from Ohio, so I'll take it. Because
1: I know it. there's a lot of country land. You know, you think Ohio is the north, right? right? A little bit of northeast, Midwest, Midwest. Yeah, is it Midwest? That's Midwest. They yeah. call it Midwest. Yes, yeah, Midwest. All right. Well, Midwest. It's the heart of
2: it all. It's where the the northeast and I think and the Midwest kind of like intersect.
1: When they that's kind of where Midwest maybe starts, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: So, so what did you do in a small town as a kid?
2: Played on the slip and slide. Um, well, I was the oldest of four, so I was always responsible for a bunch of other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe cow tipping.
1: Cow tipping. I mean, maybe. Maybe. I
2: mean, I won't confess. I mean, am I confessing? Um, yeah, like a lot of chores, a lot of out. We would not just make up things. We 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 didn't have technology and gaming systems. So it was always making up adventures outside. We had forts and we had, uh, ropes on trees and tree swings. And, um, we would go down the Creek and we would play there. I mean, we, we never were inside.
3: Market. i mean we weren't even allowed to be inside
1: now, if, did,
2: if it was daylight <laughs>
1: now did you think when you were a kid running around did you ever think you would play army or be in the army
2: no no i don't think so i think i don't know what i thought i was gonna be but no i don't think i thought i was gonna be in the army nobody ever talked to me about the military i i maybe might have watched. Um, He-Man and Uh She-Ra on Saturday morning cartoons. That was probably the closest. I think I saw some G.I. Joe stuff, cartoons at one time. Yeah. But it wasn't part of our conversation to talk about the Army or anything like that.
1: How many brothers, sisters?
2: I have three. I have two sisters and one brother.
1: Two sisters, one brother. Now, where are they at?
2: They're all in Ohio. My brother served in the Air Force. My two sisters are still back near my hometown. And, yeah, they The two sisters didn't serve, although I would say they kind of served because they supported me through five deployments and I've had so much great support and love for them. But, uh, my brother served in the air force, I think eight years. I'm not quite sure, but I think eight years.
1: And then mom and dad,
2: my nobody, none of my parents served.
1: No, they, what are your mom and dad doing now?
2: So my mom, um, and my stepdad are farmers. They Mm -hmm. farm, gosh, I think 1300 acres So they're working really hard jobs, um, relative jobs. Um, And then I have my stepdad who raised me, who's like my dad, basically. Mm -hmm. He um, is retired. Um, My biological dad has passed. He was a motocross racer and jet ski repairman. And um, I wasn't really close to him, but I got close to him right before he passed. And I think that's where I get my kind of... um, my dean, like I, I jumped out of airplanes, right? I went to airborne school, aerosol school, power, all the things the army said that were tough and really hard. I, yeah. I get that from my biological father. He was definitely a daredevil, no fear whatsoever. And I got that from him.
1: Now, was there a situation where your mom and dad, your biological father, and your mother got together? Had you, did they, were they ever married or no?
2: Briefly, like very briefly. Okay. Very, very briefly.
1: Very briefly. Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, and then she then she married my stepdad or my stepdad, and I was there. Until I was sixteen, mm-hmm. and then now I have my new stepdad. So they're we're all like a blended family, and we we all love each other, and each person's played a great role in my life. So I'm very grateful, but it's a little dynamic.
1: A little dynamic. Well, yeah. where do you do action sports in Ohio?
2: Action sports? Yeah,
1: it's action sports. Motocross. Well,
2: I don't. Know. I was. I was.
1: <laughs> I put Travis Pastrana. I brought storytelling to. That's right. To motocross. I brought brought enduro racing to America.
2: You know, um, my dad, my biological father. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't get to be connected with him when he was really heavy involved in motocross or mm-hmm. anything like that. I actually didn't get to know him until he was mostly just doing jet skiing. Because he was okay. getting older, he had f- had some injuries and some fractures, like just some stuff happened. So I really didn't get to know him till I was—I mean, till I was a mom. And then he wanted to be involved with his grandkids, and he started visiting. And so I don't know—I'm not and really what your, sure. What
1: was your bi- biological dad's name? Do you ever go to California?
2: Oh yeah, he did. Robert Colon. Um, so I'm half Puerto Rican. Um, Colon is um, would have been my maiden name, but complicated because i took all my stepdad's names so it's like goins cologne um a lot of people don't think i'm Hispanic. they're like oh you look white or italian but i'm like no nope, i'm half puerto rican but i didn't learn the language right because i didn't grow up with my stepdad or i'm sorry my dad so mm-hmm. i didn't like go into a spanish speaking house fluently uh but yeah he did he did compete in california quite a bit
1: because that was when when i was on the east coast Right yeah. and trying to make it in production and so forth and start doing music videos. Actually, this is how I started doing w- what I'm doing now is in music videos. And then moved to L.A. Action sports and that whole world in California was so much bigger than it was on the East Coast. Yeah, you know, and that's it was a big deal out there, and you know it was a pretty good run for us. So it's just it's just an interesting culture and dynamic to live in and see and experience, you know, and what some of these riders do.
2: Yeah, he he used to share that with me. I mean, he missed the West Coast and and that feel, but he wanted to be close to his grandkids, so he kind of sacrificed that. And plus he was getting older, so he moved to the East Coast to kind of be close to my two kids, his only two grandkids. I'm his only child, so.
1: In the military, out of high school, what does a kid think when they first... The first day you show up to wherever you have to go, when you sign up for the military, what were you thinking and what did it feel like? What was going on?
2: You know, I just didn't want to fail. I didn't want to let my family down. I had, it was, it was the way, the path, like it had to work. And um, I just want, I'm very competitive. Uh, I did sports. Well, I was in track and high school. I was very competitive in the sense of, oh, this is going to happen and this is going to work and I'm going to be the best at this. So it was, what do I need to do to be the best? Mm -hmm. So that was what's going through my head. There was no turning back. I wasn't going back. Mm -hmm. I had talked, you know, I'm I'm kind of a shit talker in a little ways. Like I may or may not have told my mom that I'm leaving. Like you can't tell me what to do. I'm going in the army. So I really couldn't backpedal at that point because she's like, fine, let them have you. Let them fix you. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was, I was in it to win it.
1: So when you showed up, where did you show up at?
2: Fort Jackson, South Carolina, just up the road an hour and a half from here.
1: Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And what do you do on the first day?
2: Get your ass handed to you, like get yelled at, like, you know, humbled. Just like, I mean, we, I remember getting dropped for pushups. As soon as I came off the bus, I had a duffel bag on my back. And my hands blistered because the pavement was still so hot from the heat of the day. And I remember thinking, what the hell did I do? (laughs) Like, yeah, it was bad. And I had long hair like this, and I cut it super short within a day or
1: two.
2: Yeah. Like, cut it all the way like a boy, like Peter Pan. Yeah. Because it was hot. It was South Carolina. Like South Carolina heat, people don't understand. I went through basic training. I think it was in August that I reported for basic training. August in South Carolina is hell. Mm -hmm. Literally hell. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's warm out there right now.
2: I mean, it's like 100, the heat index. And then when you're in uniform and you're doing calisthenics, it's no joke. It's it's brutal. Yeah.
1: How long were you in Fort
2: Jackson? I think... Boot camp was, I want to say it was nine months. I don't remember, August. No, August, September, October, so only like four months. And then I went to Fort Lee, Virginia. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, you probably, when I was in college here, I was in college in Charleston. Okay. Right? I played summer league here, summer league baseball here. Okay. Right? Because I went to school at Spartanburg Methodist. Now, I delivered food probably when you were at Fort Jackson. Right, I used to drive a, a truck <laughs> for a food company here in Charleston, and I went to Fort Jackson, I went to Paris Island, and then I went to a, a military base close to Jacksonville. I don't. It might have been in Georgia. Is there? Is there
2: a like Fort Bunning? Maybe. or Stewart?
1: Maybe it was. A, I remember it was about a three and a half hour trip from here going down because I'd go to paris island and then i go down but i delivered food to those places so it was and i delivered food to these when they had the when they were really stacked here the navy base Mm -hmm. was stacked to those big aircraft carriers yeah and and i was amazed at how big those things are Uh, so after what did you call it
2: basic training
1: basic training (laughs) where were you assigned
2: well, I had to go to Fort Lee because that's where you learn your occupational specialty, like yeah. what, your, you know, what you do for the military. Yeah. So I went to Fort Lee for that. I was a 92 Yankee unit supply specialist. Yeah. But I was in the National Guard. So once I completed that, I went back to Ohio, which I'm going to be honest with you. I was so naive. I didn't really comprehend and understand that I had to go back home. I thought I was going off to the Army. I didn't mm. realize I was going to go back home. So I go back home. And at the time, the National Guard paid 100% tuition. So I enrolled in the Ohio State University. I was like, well, they're paying my tuition. I might as well go. So I went to Ohio State. While I was at Ohio State, I enrolled in ROTC because I found out very quickly I don't like being told what to do. Mm -hmm. I did not like being a private. I did not like being in – I mean, enlisted is great in some ways. It teaches you a lot of humility. But I wanted to be in charge, and I definitely wanted to make more money. (laughs) Not that I'm greedy, but, I mean, I like nice things. So (laughs) – I decided to do ROTC. I wanted to lead. I wanted to have like more opportunity and mentors of mine told me, Hey, like this is a better opportunity for you to go through the officer program. So I did that. So I graduated when the day I graduated college and September 2nd, 1999, I became an officer. So I went from being an E4 to an officer kind of like overnight. I went to Korea. Well, I went to the officer basic course, went to Korea, went to Fort Campbell, met my husband, nine 11 happened. Pretty much once nine eleven happened, which was, you know, two years into my four year commitment, mm-hmm. I felt indispensable, which is not true, but I felt my country needed me. Yeah. Felt that leaving would be a traitor kind of thing to do. Yep. Uh and I did have I mean, I deployed right away to Afghanistan after nine eleven, then went to Iraq during the invasion. So by the time my four year commitment came up I had two deployments under my belt and at that point our nation had been in semi-peace time I guess you would say for such a long time mm-hmm. they didn't have the talent pool of combat experienced veterans and the forces to really keep going and I knew it wasn't near over and I just felt loyalty I felt loyalty to my brothers and sisters in arms to my country mm-hmm. and I knew like this is what I was called to do, and I'm gonna stay. So my husband and I, my husband and I both stayed. We he deployed six times, I deployed five. We put off having kids. We didn't have kids until our mid thirties because I never wanted to get pregnant because I thought everyone would judge me if I was pregnant and I was in the military. Mm-hmm. I thought when am I gonna have a baby? But we wanted to have a family, but I didn't. I felt that would be selfish because then I couldn't go overseas. So I kept putting it off, putting it off, and then finally, there was a point in our careers where we go to school, where the military makes you go to school, mm-hmm. be- between captain and major, and I thought, well, that is the perfect time to have a baby, and we tried, and we tried, like, immediately tried to have babies, and we miscarried three times. And I thought, well, shit, like we're, this isn't going to happen for us. And I guess it's just, not, and I, and we were down to the wire because we were so scheduled. I mean, mm-hmm. I was like, if we don't have a baby by this time, then we can't get pregnant because we're going to be back in an operational unit. And I have to be like skinny again and fit in my uniform and off breastfeeding. Like if this does not happen, we are, we're not having kids. And by the grace of God, literally our last attempt at having a child, we, we, we able to have our daughter, Annabelle. She was like our miracle baby.
1: How does that work with, if you're married in the military and you're in Afghanistan together? Right? Mm-hmm. How does that work? Hey, honey, you know, hey, did you get shot at today? I mean, what is that? <laughs> How do you, what is yeah. that? <laughs> you know, each, you de- know.
2: <laughs> each deployment was so different. I mean, some deployments we were together like in close proximity. Sometimes we were miles away without any contact sometimes it was intermittent sometimes we lived in the same a space about the size of your studio here we would live in and we would come back to but my husband was an Apache pilot so a lot of times he, most of the time he was on nights Mm because they do a lot of missions at night and so I was day shift he was night shift so we were constantly fighting to like figure out how we could like sleep and not bother each other and interrupt each other Um, it wasn't too bad for him because he would fly at night and then I was gone at work all day and, and day shift but um, it was really hard for me because I knew I could hear sometimes the sounds of things and I knew what was happening and it was hard for me to rest knowing what he was doing and in fact one night uh, September 26, 2007 mm-hmm. specifically he was shot down they call it a hard landing now but a hard he, landing. Was, he was shot down and um, no 2007
1: 2007 what month? In September September what? 26 September 26 2007, 2007. Yep. Your husband was shot down. I was there. How did you find out?
2: So, we're both in Iraq and everything and um his executive officer called me uh and said, "Hey Robin, uh Keaton's had some maintenance issues. Um, you know, don't worry about it. He'll be home soon. We're working through it." And I was like, "Okay, like that sounds pretty normal." And then several hours later, um we have a lot of things we do overseas to like keep morale up. So we had like a little flag football thing that happened in the evenings just to give a distraction to the soldiers. And I was there with my guide on and my soldiers were playing flag football. And my executive officer came up to me and he goes, I can't believe you're here. Like, wow. Like that's bad. Like that's hardcore. Like it's like, mm-hmm. how's Kayton? like, fine. Yeah. It's a maintenance issue. He's like, maintenance issues. What? What? Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh. And uh, I looked at him and I go, what happened? And he goes, he just, the, his look on his face gave it away. And I remember it. I actually was holding my guide on and I almost let it drop. We should never let your guide on drop. And my soldier grabbed it and I just took off running to his headquarters and ran all the way there. I was so sweaty and winded when I got there. And in my, you, you think running like I'm just, in, no, I'm in uniform with a kit, with my pistol, everything on me. You know, it's, it's a lot. And I'm running in this, in this dust kicking up. I get in there and I'm like, what happened? And he's like, calm down, calm down. We didn't tell you because we didn't want you to freak out. I'm like, really? I'm not some wife back in the States. I am right here. Mm-hmm. I am right here. <clears throat> yeah. Like you owe me that courtesy to tell me I am part of this team. It, it really upset me. Not just that they just weren't honest with me. I mean, I'm this is my, at that point, that was my third deployment. I mean,
3: mm-hmm.
2: with him, he and I have been deployed twice before. This isn't my first rodeo sunshine. Like tell me what's going on, you know? Yeah. And, um, anyway, he, right at that moment when i'm about to punch his commander in the face he walks in the door with this like top gun kind of sexy smirk all sweat dripping off of him and i was like oh. and i all i did, could do was punch him literally i punched him in the chest cuz i was mad and happy to see him at the same time but i was just so so mad that i didn't get told the truth
1: when you first saw him mm. your husband i mean what
2: yeah.
1: how was he what what was he saying
2: he was acting like it was no big deal. He looked tired. He looked relieved. Uh, he looked really happy to see me. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was more of, I think he was just exhausted. But he was fine. It was like nothing had happened. He was just so like, yep, just another day in at work. Yeah. Just super chill. But that's Katen. Katen's always been very no drama no, he just laid make, back. Lay, very laid back. Yeah, I am the, you know, I'm the energetic one. And he's just even keel all the time.
1: So after that experience, now you told me about experience. We are in a bunker together, or something <laughs> happened.
2: Yeah, um, one of our deployments, we were getting ready to go on R and R, and we had turned in our weapons, everything, and we were waiting on top. We we had climbed on top of a bunker mm-hmm. that was out in the airfield, waiting for the rotary aircraft to come and take us to Baghdad. And in Baghdad is where you get on the fixed wing to go down to Kuwait and then on to wherever. So we're there. I'm reading through People Magazine. He was propped up. He even took his boots off. I mean, he was just chilling, like taking a little nap. And all of a sudden, I, I felt like the pages on the People Magazine just kind of go, whoosh, you know, And all of a sudden, I realized that bullets were just kind of whizzing by us. And I look at him and he looks at me and we're like, explicative, explicative, insert here and i flip right he flips left and yeah so then that was the start of our r&r vacation your (laughs) r&r yeah Yeah. we had no weapons like we had turned them in nothing that that would have mattered in this case because really was no point but how
1: many more deployments did you have after that after that
2: that one was oh five so oh seven and then you're making me count (laughs) um i think we had three more three more after that yeah
1: And what was it like dealing with the people in Afghanistan?
2: Um, I only had very limited interaction with the locals there. I went to Kabul on one occasion and um, I got to interact with the women and children. Mostly it was a a specific mission, which I can't really elaborate on, but it was really, I don't know, it changed my life. I I actually sponsor an all-girls school in Afghanistan to this day. Every month I I have a student that I sponsor there. Um, I really connected with the women there and the children there, so... It was um, it made me see a bigger picture, you know, and because mm-hmm. you never know like you listen to the news and stuff but seeing it firsthand you see like the progress you're making and like what you're doing to give stability to an area mm-hmm. um, so that was the only time I interacted with the locals in Afghanistan was this one particular mission It was like um, a couple of days long, but it was nice for the most part, I was either pretty much restricted to my uh, operating base or forward operating bases from there, and they were very isolated. And so I was only around service members or other government agencies that were involved. But
1: now, was there a difference in the environment between Afghanistan and Iraq? Oh, yes. What was Iraq like?
2: Depends on the deployment. I mean, in 2003, mm-hmm. much different than 2016, right? Um,
1: How was 2003?
2: Oh, like the Wild Wild West kind of, I mean... It was very austere. Uh, Did you ever go in
1: uh, Saddam's house?
2: I went into several palaces. Yeah,
1: yeah. Really? What was that like?
2: Kind of weird. You're just. It's like I don't know. It's just weird. thinking, wow. It was almost. It was kind of sad. It was sad. They're so ornate and so beautifully done, and just. It, I guess, I mean, this is a really horrible analogy, but if put on the spot, it would be like going to Disney World if it closed Yeah. and going into the big Princess Cinderella Castle and it's empty and dark and damaged and just everyone's gone and no one's there and you're like,
1: wow. Now, it, was any of it still, was it still functional? Was the yeah. house still functional? Oh funct- yeah,
2: we used the bathrooms and everything, yeah. I Oh yeah, I was so excited to have flushing water.
1: Really? <laughs> oh
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could but, you go
1: swimming in the pools and
2: Oh, no. We were focused on we were focused on the mission. We were focused on the mission for sure. But, but the,
1: there was it like-
2: wasn't like we were there to vacation. It was it was work. But um but there is something inside of you that's like, wow. I
1: mean yeah.
2: impressively the engineering and the architecture and just the elaborate um design. I just was so impressed and it broke my heart. You know, it broke my heart that it came to that. It made me just sad um Mm -hmm. but we were so focused I mean you get like two seconds to think sad and then you're like okay we got work to do I mean there, there was no time to think about like okay I'm sad and next okay this is your you have this to do I mean we were so busy and there were so many tasks to accomplish that there wasn't time to get into your feelings about things I mean do your job.
1: story about him being in a hole, Saddam being in a hole with a bunch of money. What was that? They found him in a hole with money. Is that true or what?
2: I have no idea. I don't know. Did you I ever, wasn't there.
1: Did you ever see or get close to him or anything no. like that?
2: No. I have a lot of Saddam money. I mean, I did get... Oh, really? I get to like get a lot of the money that had his, his portrait his on it. His face on it, yeah. No. I never saw him. I never got close to him. My, I mean, I'm a logis, logistics officer. I mean... I didn't get to do any of the sexy stuff. but
1: So what was the difference between 2003 and 2016?
2: Well, when you have a more established theater, I mean, obviously the resources are there. Uh, we understand our environment more. Um, also, the dynamics change politically, uh, just in Iraq in general. Um, their own, like, I mean, it went from, I mean, I don't want to get too much into it, but You know, the invasion very much was a different focus with Saddam to, okay, Operation Inherent Resolve in 2016 and our objectives there.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And more, I would say, in 2016, it was like more cooperatively working with the Iraqi army to help them be successful. Gotcha. You know, against ISIS and um, kind of, well, to increase stability there as a logistician, it was very frustrating um, because their logistics system was lacking. But I will say I was very pleasantly surprised that the Iraqi leadership listened to a woman logistician from the United States Army. I felt that I was able to offer some pretty good recommendations on how they could streamline their processes and procedures in their supply mm-hmm. chain. And I felt that they did um, apply some of those techniques and improve their strategy.
1: Now, what would you, after having those experiences as a female, what would you tell another female getting into the Army today? That's a very good question.
2: (laughs) Dang it. So part of me wants to say, well, just, Be good at what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a female. Like, just be good. That's that's not true. I had very, very mixed experiences. I had some very sexist um,
1: colleagues and bosses. Well, the reason I asked that was because you said uh, sometimes in the Army, you could be a three, and depending on the deployment, you're a ten. What does that mean? Just kind of jokingly, but what what does that kind of, what does that mean? I mean, is that... Well,
2: that's more about like dating and like kind of joking about looks and stuff. No, but I would would say this. Serving in the Army is an honor. It is a great privilege. It's challenging. Mm -hmm. I think women are more than capable and I think women are now more than ever able to do any job. You can do anything you want now. I mean, literally almost, there's hardly anything that's off limits to you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: My advice, if if I had to say one thing to a woman who was coming to my, get out of your own way. Mm-hmm. Usually most of the time you're in your own way. I was in my own way. I got in my own head um, about the way I thought that certain bosses were towards me or whatever. Um, In my, it's different now though, my generation really bridged because we were the, my generation of women officers were the ones that went from having some opportunity and some ability to serve in a lot of areas. It was great to everything open to them. But by the time I retired to go to ranger school, to do anything, the problem is is the men in which we served under Mm -hmm. didn't get exposed, like the light infantry especially, which is where I kind of ended my career, didn't get exposed to women until so late in their career that they almost couldn't get past it culturally. Mm -hmm. So I think now that's not an issue, but definitely from, I'd say 2013 to 2020, it was definitely a growing, changing, massive cultural transformation. And as far as in regard to the acceptance of women's roles and what they contribute, and the male leadership being open and accepting to that, mm-hmm. Phil, we're far more advanced than that. And our armies are going in the right direction, but there was some growing pains in there. And they know it, they know it. I mean, they, and they did so much work to minimize it. The army had so many symposiums and working groups and they put so much money behind it to like do better and they are doing better. Mm -hmm. I just personally didn't get to live through that. I experienced kind of the rougher parts of it, but I'm glad that they've made progress and I'm excited that my sisters can now serve in a different culture.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think you're a highly sensitive person. I think you carry a lot of weight from those experiences. You know, because like, I can feel it. Being a physical intuitive, being a physical intuitive, I can feel some of the weight you carry, yeah. based on your experiences, because you're a highly sensitive person. Don't you say know. I'm
2: sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sensitive.
1: Yeah, you are. You're I'm very ruthless. sensitive. You're a very sensitive person. That's your that your M O is your uh, defense mechanism.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> I'm a killer. <laughs> But there's nothing wrong with that. But I I mean, but you know, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility and a lot of unknown, a lot of unknown that, you know, that you have to think about while you're going through that experience, I would think. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would overthink things a lot. I remember um, being in rooms with senior males and I knew they were uncomfortable with me. I knew it. And it was awkward. It was weird. Um, But I wanted them to be comfortable. I was comfortable, but they just were awkward and weird. And it was just just, um, a time I think the Army was just figuring it out. And I just happened to be caught in the middle of this transformation. And you know what? I loved it because I got to be an advocate and a voice and a mentor and somebody who helped perpetuate change. Mm -hmm. I helped to be a voice and a leader during a time the Army needed it most. And that made me excited. And I don't care if I didn't get to live it. Mm-hmm. The people after, the women after me get to. And that is way better than living it myself. You know, that's way better. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm excited. I mean, if my daughter wanted to serve in the army, I'd be like, go for it. Yeah, Go for it. Do what you want to do. I hope she, uh, honestly, she wants to become a pilot. Good for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I would feel comfortable sending her to serve in the army. I trust my brothers-in-arms to take care of her and my sisters-in-arms.
1: You had a stint, too. So after some of the deployments slowed down, right, you had some experience under your belt. Yeah. Um, You were special assistant to, you're telling me, the guy in the The military. The chairman
2: of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You were who? The Martin Dempsey, um, General Martin Dempsey. He was the 18th chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff.
1: So, General Martin Dempsey. Yes. He ran the military.
2: Yeah. Highest highest military officer. Yep.
1: He's the highest military officer. So, you were right. special assistant to him for 18 months. Yes. 18 months. What? Yeah. Now, how did you, how did that happen in your career? And did that happen after, obviously, it happened after the deployments?
2: Uh, all but one of them. I had one deployment after that. Uh, look and timing. Look and timing and a really good friend, uh, my mentor. Uh, endorsed me and recommended me. You know, um, General Dempsey and Deanie, his wife, are amazing. They were absolutely the finest. I mean, just... I I still can't believe I got to serve on their team. But for me, if I had to look back... And they asked me the question when I interviewed for the job. They were like, are you sure? You know, it. my kids were so young. Mm-hmm. I was super stressed out about my kids. And I had... Um, Colton, um, was having some not serious issues, but he had some speech delays and some stuff he was going through. Annabelle was, um, not coping well with me being gone a lot. And I wouldn't, I don't know, looking back, like I wouldn't trade it for the world. Cause getting to know the Dempsey's and all the people on the team and the experiences I had were just so amazing. Um, but my family life was definitely it was really hard mm-hmm. harder than I expected it to be and I just didn't see it before it happened
1: mm-hmm. and what was that like doing, being in that position I mean it's like you're running around with the president I would think right
2: oh with um, well I mean he's definitely high profile and there's like a zero mess up factor so you have to make sure you're on your game all the time I think um uh, I also, at the time, wasn't sleeping well. I had um, some other issues going on health-wise. But, um, yeah, it's like you don't mess up. Like, you are on all the time. and, um, But they were so nice and gracious and loving and family-oriented. And they totally supported me taking care of my family and doing what I needed to do. I think it was more me. Mm-hmm. My mom guilt and my wanting to just be, you know... I was just really torn at my kids being at such a pivotal age and just didn't, didn't balance it the way that I, if I could go back, I would have done a little different. Um, I would have probably still taken the job, but I would have maybe outsourced some more support on the home side to make sure that my kids had like more consistent care. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. So you were pretty, I mean, when you took that gig, you're pretty much gone 18 months.
2: No, I mean, we were home, I mean, and they and they really would have, I mean, if I would have came forward and said I needed some more home time, they would definitely have accommodated. I just was too proud to do it, and um, I didn't want to admit to anyone that I was worried about my kids, mm-hmm. so, yeah, but, you know, you're young, and you're, like, trying to be successful in the military, and you think that you know what's good for you and your family and your career, and... Sometimes you make mistakes and sometimes you learn from them. And if anything, I learned from them is they're always, the densities are always very family centric, very family focused. And, um, so yeah, I eventually, so I knew pretty much when I was working for them that I was going to do 20 years and get out. I wasn't going to go any further Mm -hmm. because they focus on family. And I realized I need to focus on my family. This is more important than the
1: army. So you had it stand at the Pentagon,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what was that detail there, the Pentagon?
2: Oh, that was that was with General Dempsey. That was the one. And that then I was also, with yeah, Dempsey. Yeah, and I also worked for the SEC Army for a while. Um, what else did I do? <laughs> I worked in the Chairman's Office of Reintegration on uh, military spouse and veteran employment. So, Gotcha.
1: Yeah. So that's why you're paying the ass about scheduling still. Yes, you're, I fr- you're fresh out. Of, you're fresh out.
2: Well, yeah. And
1: Pretty much, right?
2: Yes. And we are, so we're very detailed on schedule and a uh, little OCD. <laughs> I'm a little OCD. Yeah. I know. I keep asking. I'm like, John, when are we going to do this? What time? Okay. Yeah. All right. At 14.02, we're going to do this. At 14.05, we're going to do this. All right. We're leaving at 14.15. I mean, I like to have a schedule, yes. And you don't do that at all. You're just kind of all over the place, which as endearing as you are, it drives me crazy.
0: <laughs> I got
1: a lot of I got a lot of things going on.
2: Okay, well, I need you to focus. <laughs>
1: uh, I'm focused. I'm focused. It's
2: it's meet the ha- with, time with hacks. me.
1: It's departmentalized, right? So it's like, all right, I got to focus here on this. Let me run. Let me get this done. Let me focus here. Let me run and get this done. Let me focus here and run and get this done. And we're going through a big growth. We're almost uh, my company. We're almost outgrowing our people. You know, we don't. We we're trying to figure out all right how do we scale what do we Mm -hmm. what do we let go of and how do we scale the business and and then you know and then I you know that's kind of where I'm at and I circle back around I'm be like but I'm pretty I'm pretty focused if you know if anybody that has worked with me in entertainment there's really nobody you know I just work out work everybody you do really I really do
2: I like your hustle I like that you are focused you get stuff done um, but you do operate, you're like my daughter, you operate on your John's time. You were just on your own time. Whereas I'm like, this is the time hack. This is the schedule hit, 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 hit. And if it needs to vary or adjust. Well,
1: it's not, it, well, it's not really, <laughs> it's not really a, uh, mm. it's not like I'm not thinking about time. It's more about dealing with, dealing with the moving parts all right in entertainment business there's a lot of moving parts right so you have this personality here you have this position here all right what can I do here without giving away anything right without giving away when I say giving away something I say giving away 10% Mm -hmm. okay so my first route is all right how do I save 10% let me maximize my relationships there right once I maximize that then I go here and I say all right you want to take this and get your 10% run with it, you know? Uh, and that's kind of some of the scenarios I deal with. Cause I've done pretty much every level of comedy. There is, uh, from outselling Kevin Hart to selling a hundred seater, you know what I'm saying? Selling a hundred tickets. So in a seat, selling 4,000, I should say some 4,000 tickets to a hundred, hundred tickets. So when I, Hmm. My schedule is based on money, right? How I do content is strictly based on money. How I do tours is strictly based on money. So I try to get as much as possible without giving away a lot and getting the best deals.
0: I mean, then, I get it. But then it. when
1: I run out, run out of that room, I got over here and get the deals over here to fill fill the holes in. So it's... uh. It's a little maneuvering.
2: I don't think that's so much different than the senior leaders I worked for. So the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the un- the Undersecretary, the Secretary of the Army. I mean, I worked as their person. I was their person that like kept them to their schedule. Here's the thing: we feed off their. I don't know. I'm getting to know you. Mm-hmm. So if you're with the chairman or with um, the Secretary of the Army, and they're in a serious meeting with another country's leader or something, or at the White House with the president with whatever. You know, you know, like, hey, boss, like, your next meeting is in 10 minutes, and it's across town, like, we gotta leave now. But you feed off their body cues, like, nope, this is more important, like, wave off, push it. And then I'm on the phone, like, hey, we gotta push that, like, 10 minutes, like, we're not gonna make, like, da-da-da. So it's just about our getting to know each other and understanding mm-hmm. how that goes. But... Not to be a pain in your ass, but the thing is, is I'm used to keeping my boss on time.
1: And you just don't know the game, my game,
2: right? And once we get to know each other, it's like, okay, I got you. You just yeah. kind of give me the like, and we'll learn each other. And then it's like, okay, then I know. Call the next meeting. Tell them a running behind thirty more minutes, forty more, and then you'll kind of have an idea.
1: And this is good too. I mean, I think it's good to get some content out for you, and you know, we'll you know, we've we've hit on some high points about your military career, and now that you've landed in. In uh, South Carolina. Have were you when you were in the military, were you when you were in the military, you were always the jokester?
2: I don't think that like pe- the
1: like the what the class clown?
2: You know, in my I think that I save that for very special people. There are some people that would say, Absolutely she was I, I have close friends that would like, Heck yeah, she was alive at the party, always throwing It's Always funny. There are other people who knew me who'd be like, I never saw her be funny ever I really um was kind of ashamed of my wit and sense of humor I didn't think that the army valued wit and humor it seemed to be something a a talent or a skill that was I mean you were supposed to be articulate and confident and to be have all the army values right but nowhere in there is humor or wit and it seemed like if I would say something humorous or witty, I would offend somebody or get a dirty look, especially in my last, especially when I was a battalion commander because I definitely had uh, an environment where I was not uh, appreciated for my wit and humor. And, um, yeah, I just, I kind of suppressed it. Mm-hmm. I didn't let it show because I it was, it's all, it was almost embarrassing. Like, by the way, I'm really... Funny and mm-hmm. nobody wanted that. I wasn't getting paid to be funny. I was getting paid to lead and be serious and like, you know, do the army's work. Yes. I wish the army would kind of evolve a little bit and go, you know what? Levity and a sense of humor and wit is actually a very great skill. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you think about comedy, you know what I can, you know what makes me, a, I don't say a great comedian, a, good, a better comedian? I can read the room. I read the room just like I did tactically, just like I did in the military. I read the yeah. room. Uh, I don't get nervous. No one's shooting at me. Hopefully, thank God. Uh, uh, I I don't get too nervous in front of people. Uh, You get a real feel. You can adapt. You can be agile. You know, you say some jokes. It's not going well. You you go a different direction. That's very much a military skill that I learned.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And and if if you're listening out there, me and Robin hooked up because she she actually reached out to me, and then I had a show. At the Wanderer that we put her on as yeah. an opener because she's, she's chasing her comedy career. Uh, so that's how we hooked up, and that's why we're having this conversation, and I think this content will be good for what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and you've had some local stuff going on. You had the VA um, where you're working with where you do uh, some comedy for some of the people who have PTSD within the v- VA.
2: Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, this is actually the main reason that I continue to do comedy. So I've lost more of my fellow brothers and sisters in arms to suicide than I did in combat, and that's really messed up. Mm-hmm. And um, I struggle with that. And it, uh, sorry, I'm like a little emotional. Uh, so I decided that stop complaining about it and do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there's this old adage it was like laughter is the best medicine. Now we all know like literally, like actually if that's not true because if you're in labor, like what's the best medicine is epidural. But but um, it's, but there's something to that in the sense of we pump drugs and therapy, we we do all these like traditional things for our veterans. Mm-hmm. But humor really helps. And so I started a pilot program at the Charleston VA. We're doing inpatient and outpatient treatment using the applied and therapeutic use of humor. It works. They love it. I'm hoping to scale it. Uh, Right now, it's like still in the beginning phases, but there's something to it. I continue to do comedy more for me. It's my own mental health solution, Mm -hmm. but also it gives me a platform to talk about the fact that we're doing this for veterans Mm -hmm. because I feel like the more I'm out there, the more people hear me, the more people laugh and say I'm funny, then they're going to hear about what we're doing at the VA. And they're Mm going to go, you know what? Why are we not doing that? And I need more support because I want to scale it and I want to make it available all across the country. I want every veteran to be able to say, you know what, I want to laugh a little bit. I want something a little non-traditional as part of my mental health wellness strategy.
1: And what, what are some of the, um, just give me one case about you know, a vet and their PTSD well, that you have to kind of, when you're trying to entertain them, make them laugh, is that hard to do?
2: Hell yeah. It's hard. You ever been in a psych ward? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm going into an inpatient psych ward where most of these veterans are not there voluntarily. Uh, They are uh, very much medicated. A lot of them have substance abuse issues and very serious mental health conditions, Mm -hmm. schizophrenia. There are manics. I mean, it's, I mean, if you can perform in front of this crowd, you can perform in front of any crowd. I mean, it's rough. And you, you want to practice getting used to hecklers? Go to the VA hospital for inpatient. Like that is, it's honestly the toughest crowd I have ever. That being said, they also really want it. They're also really hungry for it. It's completely volunteer. It's voluntary. Uh, they don't have to come out for it. It's an optional group. They could very easily grab their cell phones and go in their rooms and call their families or play on their games or whatever they want to do. But I'd say 80% of the inpatients come out for this group because they love it and they want it and they want to laugh and they're excited for it. And that means something. For the outpatients, um, one example would be I had a a student and this is a comedy 101 course and we were we really teach them how to like make light of trauma and like situations that cause them anxiety. So she gets anxiety cause she's in a wheelchair and when people park in the blue lines at the handicap, she can't let her ramp down and get out of her vehicle. So she gets ticked off. I mean, like you would, you know, cause she can't get out of her vehicle. And so we made some jokes up about that and we helped her uh, workshop that frustration into a comedy routine and that gave her just a little different approach and feel more in control of that situation than she would have.
1: Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting take. I mean, you know, yeah. you know where the the source is coming from and you're on the other side trying to follow this com- or chase this comedy career, so it's you yeah. would understand more than anybody, I would think, right? Yes. That what needs <laughs> to be, that that what needs to be done, right? So check that out Hilarious, right? It's called Yeah. Hilarious
2: so, Hilarious! A little play on words there with healing, yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you're out there, check that out. That's one thing Robin's doing. Or
2: bestmedicinebrigade.com.
1: Yeah, bestmedicinebrigade.com. And also, you know, chasing this comedy career, we hooked up. Um, I linked her up with Andrew Kahn. We're we're launching this tour. We really are launching this tour, whether Robin believes it or not, because she asked me, "Where's, Every the, day? Schedule? Every Where's day. the schedule? Where's the schedule? <laughs> Where's the schedule? Where's What's the schedule? Day? What time?" And Hef out there. hope everything is okay. I've been trying Aww, to get in yeah. touch with my boy Hef. We're, we're praying uh, for him. Um, hope Scoop he's him. okay. But she did, uh, Robin did a show, Robin Phoenix uh, is her name, stage name. She did a show with Andrew in Charlotte, North Carolina at the Comedy Zone. And that went very, very well. And we packaged that, put that in a bottle. And we're putting what? that out there. And it's called the Let's, Andrew Con Let's Party Tour featuring 26-year... Yeah, vet robin phoenix and so look for that as well and what's your main goal about pursuing this comedy thing and pursuing this tour what do you want to do with it
2: i think come so my main goal is coming out of covid knowing the healing that needs to happen in our veteran community is to bring laughter to bring some sort of levity to that community and let's just laugh again live comedy took a little bit of a hit right like people stopped going to live comedy in covid and it's been a little slow going why do we go to the gym why do we go to yoga why do we, do we do everything else we go to the bars we go to happy hour go see live comedy it's so healing for your soul and that's what i want to do i want people to belly laugh i want those dopamine levels to go up i want them their stress to go down and i want them to remember that it's okay to laugh We're taking ourselves way too serious right now.
1: So look out for bestmedicinebrigade.com, right? Check out Robin Phoenix on Facebook, Instagram, all the socials. She'll be working with us. We're going to do more content. I think we got some good content here that we can put out to the world. And that's it. Anything else that uh, we didn't cover? (laughs)
2: Nah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I feel like this you did a
1: little. You did a little something with Jeremy Latell.
2: Oh yeah, Jeremy was so much fun. We did this MRE thing, and um, Jeremy Latell is hilarious. We ate this MRE. He had never had an MRE, so I explained it to him, and he, you know, he ate beef jerky out of an MRE, and he owns a beef jerky company. Uh, what is it like? Kick ass. Kick ass beef b- 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 jerky. Right. And I'm like, this is so embarrassing that I'm having eat this terrible, it was nasty. I mean, it was nasty, nasty. But he was such a good sport, such a good dude, and uh, that was super fun. Uh, but, yeah, I hope to do that <laughs> more. But it was disgusting. I mean, pretty much, I, I didn't go to the bathroom for three days, so, yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: All right, be on the lookout for Let's Party, Andrew Con. Let's Party uh let's party tour it's not comedy tour is it comedy did i put let's party comedy tour
2: no you just said let's party
1: let's party tour be on the lookout for AndrewCon, let's party tour featuring robin phoenix will be coming to a city near you i appreciate you coming on the show this is robin phoenix johnson i'm john Edmonds cosma the ceo of bang productions thank you <laughs>